Uh, for me, I was allowing voices to speak into me that I actually, I don't know why I let them because I actually didn't want their life, but I still gave them the keys to dictating my own life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter 36 of the Let's Give a Damn podcast. My name is Nick LaPara. I'm your host. I'm so incredibly stoked that you're here with me today. Thank you for joining me. We're going to hop right in to introducing our speaker today, Erin Eddy. You're going to love her. I know I already do. She's the founder of So Worth Loving. She's a social entrepreneur, speaker, art director. And if you go find her on Instagram, which you should, you will find that you cannot find her without a smile on her face. That was one of the first things I noticed when I began to follow her and get to know her story a little bit more a year or two ago. Uh, Just smiles all over the place, lots of joy. She's the perfect person to be leading an organization, a lifestyle clothing brand called So Worth Loving. She's been featured on CNN, MSNBC, Mashable, Jezebel Magazine, Southern Living, Atlanta Magazine, and all over the place. I think you're going to find her story, her hopes for life. I think you're going to find them so empowering. I think you're going to find them so something that you need for your life. So please turn everything else off. Well, I guess if you're driving your car or riding your bike or walking the dog, don't turn other things off, but just pay attention. This is a good one. I'm so excited for you to join me for my conversation today with Aaron Eddy from So Worth Loving. Here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And I am so excited to have Aaron Eddy on the line. Aaron, how are you? Hey, I'm so good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so excited for a lot of reasons. I've been, you know, watching your social media and everything for a couple years now. And every picture, I, do you know if there's a picture out there of you that you're not wearing the biggest smile? Is there <laughs> one out there where you're like just frowning or pissed off or something or... <laughs> I can make one of those if I need to. <laughs> no, I, I literally was like, oh, before I get on the call, I'm going to go to her Instagram. And sure enough, the last picture, which you posted like four hours ago, big fat smile on your face. Oh. Um, so no, really great. Every time I see a photo of you, it's like, oh, I need to be happy because she oh, is. And there's obviously Jesus something to be happy about. So I love it though. No, I'm really glad that we get to uh, do this today. So excited. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, we're going to spend the next 30, 40 minutes doing so. But let's begin by... Give me some context for how you became who you are and so worth loving. We're going to talk about all that in a few minutes, but go back as far as you want in your story. Just give me some like um, people, places, things, situations. Tell me about the things that made you who you are today. Good, bad, ugly, the whole bit, or as much as you want to tell anyway. Delta, just give us a reference point, some context for who made Erin who she is today. I love that. I'm so glad you asked me that question. I haven't ever really been asked that when I do podcast interviews. I grew up a country girl, so I mean, I can go as far as back as that. I uh, I grew up on 16 acres. My dad was a furniture maker. He manufactured furniture for around 35 years, and he did that with my mom. My mom was an interior designer and still is. Um, Where are you growing up? You said country girl. Um, Clarksville, Georgia. Okay. So 
near Helen, Georgia, which is probably the, the biggest landmark near North Georgia area. It's like a tiny town of like 1,500 people. Okay. Very small. Very, very small. And yeah, so I, I grew up there. I grew up with three, three wheelers and mud pies and uh, we bred Great Danes and we had horses and pigs and macaws and wolves. I mean, I grew up in a very unconventional household. Um, my parents were both, they're both artists and uh, entrepreneurs. So exploration and rolling up your sleeves and, and hustling and, you know, walking towards messes is something that was pretty, um, it was an example for me growing up. And I think that's definitely what has made me who I am now. And I went to, um, you know, I, I repeated fifth grade. I was terrible at school. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I graduated high school. I went to an all-girls school. It was an all-girl boarding school. Um, I was a day student, but there were only 10 day students out of 80 girls total of the whole college prep boarding school that I went to. And I didn't go to college and I had no clue what it was that I wanted to do. But I'll say I, what I did know is that I wanted my voice to be used for good. I just didn't know what that looked like. So I didn't know if that was, you know, doing for a while. I was like, maybe I'll be an image consultant or a fashion designer or all these different things or an art director. I, I had no clue how I wanted to translate my voice into mediums, but I just started exploring it and I worked for my parents for a while and I got to, got to see what I was really good at and what I was really bad at. And, uh, yeah, that's always helpful. Yeah. (laughs) On the job training with mom and dad, figuring out what you're good at and what you're bad at. That's, that's a, that's a good place to do it. Right. Especially if you have involved parents and family and community, right? Because yes. they they probably helped you through some of those things and didn't just leave you on your own, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, they either give you a lot of grace or not a lot of grace. Sure. It's one or the other. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. And, so, and we need both of those, right? Yeah. Um, so let me go back a couple minutes. Um, you said something really, really good, and I, I don't want to gloss over it. You said that your parents walked toward messes. Now, that's impactful on a few different levels. One is naturally we don't walk toward messes, right? Like we try to avoid them. We uh, try to look the other way. We act like it's not there, right? I'm thinking about my kids. I have a five, four, I have a five-year-old, four-year-old and a three-year-old and they are already doing this, right? Like, uh, oh, there's not a mess there. Oh, I didn't do that. And, and we, the thing is, it's not just a five, four and a three-year-old doing that. We do that all our lives. Our, our natural inclination is to um, see something wrong and, avoid it, turn our head. And so walking toward messes is what let's give a damn is all about. So how did they, maybe you don't know this part of their story, but how did they grow up and develop into people that walked toward messes so much so that it was evident to you, their child? Mm, It's a good question. You know, I think they both came from very different backgrounds. My mom came from a very conservative background, a very um, religious background. And my dad, you know, he came from a single mom, to, you know, him and a brother and his, my dad's father, uh, my grandfather had paranoid schizophrenia. It was a really hard upbringing for him. Um, seeing his dad kind of be taken away in a straitjacket and into a mental institution and just kind of seeing just that from, from his mom. And then for himself, he went through a very rebellious time. He went, um, he served over in Vietnam, came back, dealt with drug addiction 
and um, really had to learn, um, well, honestly, if it wasn't for the people in my dad's lives that walked towards him when he was kind of going through this rebellious time, he would not have had a second chance at really living a life of health and 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 wealth of all sorts of facets of love and joy. And if it wasn't for people walking towards him instead of away from him, because he didn't have a father figure and his mom was a single mom trying to do the best that she could and being a furniture maker as well. So anyways, all that to say, I guess, my dad had a lot of mess and people walked towards it for him. And my mom had her own mess, even in a conservative religious household that she was scared of looking at that was swept under the rug. And, but then eventually it came out too. So they both experienced people walking towards messes with them. And then within themselves and their marriage, they walked towards their messes together. And then when they had kids, it was like, they were, at that point, they're so conditioned <laughs> messy world that, I mean, we, confrontation was something that was, you know, healthy confrontation was pretty prevalent in my household. Um, if we, if there was a problem, we talked about it. If there were issues, if people, if people were doing certain things or someone hurt your feelings, we talked about it. Cause that showed you respected the person enough to be able to say, Hey, you hurt my feelings. It wasn't an attack that the person was wrong, but more so it was honorable and respectful of the fact that you would voice that. And so with that being my upbringing, I think it just, na- it was just natural, I guess, for me to not be scared of the mess. In fact, I get scared when there's no mess because I feel like then no one is truly talking or showing what's really going on inside of them. That's really good. So do you think has that, that sort of an upbringing, that sort of an environment, in what ways has that helped you leading people, uh, rallying community, because what you just talked about, the kind of household you just talked about, and I'm sure it wasn't perfect, right? Nobody's no, assuming that. Like, <laughs> like, I'm sure there were times when when things weren't talked about and then it later exploded. Like that's all, you know, that, that just happens. But has that helped you lead people better and kind of lead yourself better in the world? Yes, I, absolutely. It's helped me to not be scared of my own mess because my parents weren't scared of messes. And I could even talk to them and process things with them um, that I think, unfortunately, a lot of people feel scared to do with their parents and they feel scared to bring what's going on inside of them to them. And that then has taught me how I can do that with other safe people and, and have an expectation, a healthy one, um, for the people around me. But also, you know, it makes me excited to be able to offer that to other people that don't have that safe space. And I want I want to continue to become that safe space that, you know, I think when we walk towards the mess, it, that is so much more fruitful and so much more beautiful um, that we get to see life so much better and with different colors and shapes and sounds when we when we open ourselves up to that versus becoming complacent. Yeah, because who, who are we really fooling, right? Like we think we're fooling. I just gave a, I gave a talk uh, the other week in Nashville at uh, Creative Mornings and it was so much fun. But at one point in the talk, I just looked at everybody and I said, guys, the reality is like everybody looks great here. I mean, it's a beautiful crowd. There are people making extraordinary things in Nashville from like architecture to graphic design, web design, like all sorts of creators, nonprofit leaders. 
And I was like, let's be real with each other. We're all just a bunch of fuck ups, Mm -hmm. just helping each other and helping ourselves fuck up a little less tomorrow (laughs) than we did today. Right. Like, I think and you just said it so beautifully um, is that like when we are just honest about those things in ourselves and in each other, like we can create like so many cool things. Right. We can we can create organizations and teams and companies and products and ideas when we're not trying always to like put this facade up, right? Like keep it looking, this veneer that looks like amazing all the time when it's just not, you yes. know? Yes. Um, I love that. And I feel like we also just do a disservice. When we, when we want to put up a facade or filters, I think we do such a disservice to the people around us that don't want to have a filter and don't want to have a facade. They feel crazy. They feel alone. And we're robbing ourselves of connection when we when we have that filter or that facade. Yeah, no, it's so true. Okay, so uh, you obviously give a damn about many, many things, right? And that's why you're you're on this podcast. But was giving a damn kind of a gradual thing that you like learned and took on, or or was there? You know, in, as I do more of these conversations with people on the podcast, I, I get a lot of both. And so I'm always interested, like, was it a gradual thing or was there an event or a moment in your life when the light bulb just switched? And I think I kind of have an inkling based on your story, but in your perception of yourself, like, was it an immediate, was there like a big moment, light bulb moment, or was it kind of a gradual thing? It's mm, a good question. I feel like it was probably more of a gradual thing, but however, I have experienced major life circumstances that challenged me to be less of a people pleaser and to not give a damn. So it's kind of a combination of the two of those. I think as far as my job and my career goes or, or what I feel like my purpose is in life, I think I, um, I, I think that that was a gradual thing for me. I just never really looked around to see what other people thought that I was doing as far as my career goes. I think that's because, I mean, I think I was conditioned when fifth grade when I had to repeat it and then I didn't choose to go to college. And I was doing all of these like things apart from the social norm for, you know, your child and and school and and what society says about school in general. So I think that that kind of already prepped me to just move forward in some ways that that I realized. And then I also think just with relationships that I've had, um, that I've had to, you know, choose myself apart from that person is a really hard choice as well. And, and people look in and they see, and, and at the end of the day, you know, I'm responsible. I had to choose. I'm responsible for my actions and I have to make sure that my heart is centered. And, and then I walk towards that. And, um, anybody that knows me, knows my character. I always say your character, like be consistent in your character and it will outweigh any of hearsay or gossip that you might hear. And that will help you to not give a damn (laughs) when you are consistent in your character. So yeah, I would say those two things. It's kind of a roundabout way for me to express that, but yeah. (laughs) No, no, super helpful. Super helpful. So let's talk about So Worth Loving because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the genesis of So Worth Loving, how it happened, what were the circumstances there and kind of what it's, what it's become now. So let me, before you share your side. I want to read, because I think it's a pretty powerful statement and I like so many parts of it. I want to read the manifesto on your website. It says this, no matter my history, past mistakes, relationship status, or career choice, I am worthy of love. I am not defined by my past. I am prepared because of it. While my own voice and others may tell me different, 
I will lean into the safe people that affirm this way of thinking. When I encourage others to love themselves, I'm encouraging them to treat themselves with kindness, patience, self-respect, and all that embodies love. We live our life knowing we have worth. So worth loving, it's a lifestyle. I love so many parts of that. And so I would love to hear just the so worth loving story that you've been able to live out in your own life and how it became what it's become and and all of the things involved in that. It's so nice to hear you read it. (laughs) So when I graduated high school, I worked for my parents for a while. And then I had an opportunity to basically bet this nonprofit organization. I loved their leadership and I loved what they were doing for the world. And so I I begged them to hire me and I said, I'd do their grunt work and I would take out the trash. I would do whatever it, it took to be under their leadership. And they hired me and I was there for four and a half years. And in that process, I feel like I learned a lot about people and leadership and art direction. And by the time I left, I was the art director for the organization doing like print and web and video production. And, um, I loved my job, but in the process of all of that, I remember sitting at the table with the CEO and he goes, he points across the table. We had this like big dinner meeting points at me and he goes, Aaron, what is it that you want to do? And I'm thinking, that's a trick question because I work here. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I said, um, I don't know what you mean. I'm doing it. And he goes, no, no, no. Sky's the limit. What are your aspirations? What is it that you want to do? And I said, I don't, I don't know. And no one had ever asked me that question before. Like so directly somebody of that. I just admire that was kind of in some ways in my mind, just like untouchable in ways, even though he was human. Um, I just, I never had asked that never had somebody be interested like that and knowing what my dreams were. And so I remember doing laundry, which happens like once a year. And I'm like in the laundry room thinking about what is it that I want to do? And I thought, you know, I think it's music. I think I want to do music. I've always sang growing up. It was just something that like, it was a far-fetched dream to thinking that it could ever be successful. I think we get scared to pursue our dreams because we're scared they won't be successful or sustainable. And so for me, it was like music is such a scary industry. And But I admitted, you know, I think I want to do that. And so um, I started producing music. I called a producer up and I said, hey, I want to write and record. And, and he said, all right, let's do it. And we did. And I started releasing EPs. Mind you, I'm still working for this organization. So I was doing this at night. And I had a music video that went viral. And I thought, you know, first off, that's crazy that people like my original music because I was so terrified to even produce original stuff. I solely wanted to do cover songs because I could at least hide behind them a little bit. (laughs) Um, But to produce original stuff, things that are like inside of me, like in my core and I'm singing them and putting melodies to them. It's like, that's so terrifying. And I learned so much about vulnerability Speaking of, I mean, (laughs) sitting on the other side of a microphone and someone judging everything coming out of you, it was terrifying. But um, in that process of my music going viral, I uh, wanted to create something for the people that loved my music and was supportive of me. I wanted to create something for them. I didn't know what it was. I knew maybe it was like a t-shirt, like a lot of bands do that. And maybe I would do that. Or I remember playing with like, I did like little buttons that you put on your backpack that I would just give away for free or I do stickers that had like empowering phrases and quotes on them. And and it was things that I wanted my community, my fans, my family 
that believed in me. It was things I wanted them to believe in themselves in. And so this phrase, so worth loving, came to my mind one evening. And I thought, this is so powerful. This is, but it's also so familiar. Does it already exist? Does this phrase exist to tell somebody that they're not only worth loving, but they're, they are so immeasurably worth loving no matter what is going on, no matter their circumstance, they are absolutely so worth loving. Nothing existed out there. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to put my home address on my blog and <laughs> I, because I don't have the money to buy t-shirts <laughs> and I'm going to tell people, mail me your personal shirt and I'm going to spray paint that you are so worth loving on the back of your t-shirt and I'll mail it back to you for free. And I thought I would receive maybe five shirts and they'd probably be all my mom. Um, (laughs) Go mom. (laughs) Go mom. (laughs) And I started receiving tens and twenties and thirties and forties and fifties of shirts from people all over the world. I had people from Hawaii to Germany to Washington state to, to then my hometown. And it was people telling me not only do they want me to spray paint their shirt, They are wanting a space to share their story of why they have felt unworthy of love and why they have felt alone for so long and why they're so thankful to be reminded of that, of that message, of that lifestyle, um, and, and, and hopes and in desires that they can carry that truth with them. And I started seeing these stories pile up in my inbox and I just thought, If everybody in here knew that they weren't alone, they would be able to walk towards the mess, you know, like walk towards the things that make us feel unworthy, uproot some of those things that make us feel unworthy of love and and to understand where are we finding our worth? You know, is it one of our poisons? Like pick our poison. You know, we all have a poison that we pick that we're more prone to. And it's just, what if, what if they all knew? And what if I knew? Um, that I'm not the only one going through it. I think that I would be able to have the courage to face it a little bit more. And so I started sharing people's stories on my blog. And and then I started um, getting requests of people wanting me to print T-shirts so they, they can just buy it for a friend instead of having to go through the footwork of mailing it. Because, I mean, Nick, I'm sure you do not like to go to the post office. It's, like, so not fun. Like, no one no, likes to stand up. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> So, you know, I think the fact that people are standing at the post office mailing me their personal shirt. Totally. It was so powerful. I'm like, okay, I got to print a t-shirt. So six years ago, I printed my first shirt and then another shirt and then another shirt. And then it just evolved into this community of storytelling. And apparel is just one way to bridge that gap between not talking about self-worth and talking about it. So that's our story. (laughs) Yeah. So did you go broke paying for all the shipping for these t-shirts to go back to people (laughs) or at what point did you put the kibosh on that after you had to sell your car and your dog and everything else (laughs) well you know fortunately i still had my job so this was something i did in the evening so i would get so excited to get off work and go open up my mailbox to see what was hiding in there i'm like am i gonna get like one shirt or 20 shirts this month you know or am i gonna get what, whose shirt is it going to be? Is it going to be someone I know or someone I don't know? And what's crazy is, you know, I would, I would put online, you know, put five bucks in the mail if you want to, but no pressure. 
And people would put five, ten dollars for shipping for me. I mean, it was incredible. It was like people are just, you know, paying me five bucks to spray paint their t-shirt so that they can carry this message. And the way I spray painted them, it wasn't like this beautiful piece of art. It was cardboard stencils that I duct taped that I bought from, you know, a craft store and fabric spray paint. It was as simple as that sounds. It was like stencil art. And it was what showed how powerful that the message was. It didn't really matter what it looked like. It mattered more of what it was saying. I love it. I love it. So what's the scope of So Worth Loving today? Like, so it's t-shirts, obviously, but is there still a platform for people to share their stories? Like what's, what are the components that make up the So Worth Loving community and family? Yeah, yeah. So it's been really, really crazy ride for me because I like to say, I mean, I, I didn't set out to start it. It evolved and then I started responding to it. And so I, you know, I wasn't one of those people that had a five-year plan because I didn't even know I was having a one-year plan. <laughs> right, totally. Um, and so now, you know, we we have an online blog where people submit their stories. We call them, you know, Me Too moments where people submit their stories and um, they share what they're going through or their current journey. And some people have not, you know, I, you know we will never arrive, right? But some people have, they're in the thick of their storm. And there is no resolution. Right now, they're just in the thick of it. So people share their stories on our blogs. And then we have a little over 100 college campus reps that rep our, our, our mission and our message. And we've created a type of program for college students to be able to implement on campus monthly. And that's been really neat to see transpire. Um, and, you know, we are apparel. So we, we sell to about 50 states and 30 countries. And uh, we're just, you know, my, my heartbeat um, down the road is to really, as we continue to evolve, I really want to be a supportive role, role for college counselors on college campuses that are only able to have the capacity to handle extreme cases, but not cases that still need tending to. So I hope that So Worth Loving can kind of help come alongside and give some relief to the mental health community on college campuses. Um, so that's a future dream. No, I was going to say, so let's riff on that for a second. Cause one of the questions I always like to ask is what's the dream? Like you said something really important a couple minutes ago where you said, I didn't really have a, I didn't have a five-year plan, let alone a one-year plan. Like your parents said, and like you said, you run toward the mess and then you engage it day by day. But at the same time, it's good to have, like, I have both of those things. Like I have the immediate things that I need to do today. And I can't focus on anything else except those things and those people and those situations. But I also have the, if I could snap my fingers and, you know, make the dream of the work that I want to do come true. So what is it for you? Is it, I mean, it obviously involves this like, uh, you know, helping out on these college campuses and stuff, but what would, if you could snap your fingers, what does So Worth Loving become? Mm. (laughs) You know, I love that you asked that question because I'm still, I don't know, I feel like I'm still kind of ironing out the details of what that might look like and and what that dream looks like, but for from you know for so worth loving, I I've seen it continue to evolve into content creation because that's how we connect the most with people is through co- creating content and, and sharing stories. Um, I would love to see us being a part of creating programs on college campuses throughout throughout the world supporting mental health. Um, in addition to that, I have a huge heart for writing and reading, and I would love to be able to produce books to kind of support that role that brings not only my voice, but many voices in that are having this con- this constant conversation of 
What is it like to be a good friend to somebody going through the mess? What is it like to be a good parent with a daughter or with a friend that's going through a mess? I think that's the thing is that I just want to normalize messes. So we don't even call them messes. We call it just life. And so I feel like I'm starting to dip my toes into what that looks like. Um, Apparel is just one way, um, but it's not our only way into impacting people. And so I think I'm finally, after moving our, um, we've moved our offices out of, we used to have a 2,300 square foot space where we did all the fulfillment in-house. I found myself this last year just in logistics. I was in, I was more worried about, you know, did we get enough of our shirts that we ordered or did we get gypped two t-shirts and we need to call the factory to make sure we get the other two? And are we dropping them off and picking them up, turning them inside out, single folding them, putting them on shelves? Then there's so many steps and touches that I was managing that it just, it dried me up creatively. And I had to get back to the heartbeat of why we existed and what made me excited. I didn't, I didn't set out so I could know exactly how to do, you know, t-shirt fulfillment. I started because I loved people. And so (laughs) I had to move our fulfillment out of our offices into a third party that handles it all now. And I think now I'm coming back into my sweet spot of what I love, which is storytelling, connecting, and writing. And so now I'm starting to see, all right, what does this look like? next year. (laughs) Yeah, that's so helpful. I'm glad you have done that because for people that have, everybody has ambition to some level, but you seem very ambitious. I have so many ambitions. And I know that when I, when I take things off of my plate that shouldn't be there for you, it was these legit, like all these things that you had to worry about that were taking up your valuable mind space and heart space and just the things that you should have been creating. We don't regret anything or look back, but what could you have created last year, right? If you had not had those things on your plate. And so I always love when people kind of like have that moment where they're like, nope, this has to go. You you know, maybe we won't make as much money or as much this or as much that, but now I have space to create so much more. Um, I bet that feels really great. Oh, it does. It really does. And it's, it's been a transition and it's been really hard because it's, you know, it has taken a hit because we've had to do the whole train. We did in-house fulfillment for six years, so it wasn't going to be a smooth process <laughs> like I thought it was. Uh, it took, you know, three months longer when it should have taken only 30 days. And so all of that, but I've learned so much and I've still been able to see the power of our community and of our message. And that has that has kept me moving forward and and still staying rooted and, you know, and what I want to do. So why do you do what you do? We've, we've touched on the what and the how and the where, when, and why somewhat, but like, why? Like if somebody can't answer the why, then they shouldn't be doing it in my mind because the why is just so like, it's a critical part. It has to drive, it has to get you up in the morning and just keep you, yeah, energized throughout the day and throughout the days doing what you're doing. So for So Worth Loving and for you, like, why do you do what you do? Mm, I think, I think our, our world struggles with empathy, I think we are empathy deficit. And even with some of the things that I have personally gone through, um, if it wasn't for people extending grace and empathy to me, I can't imagine where my headspace would be. And because of that, I feel like because I can see it and I, and I, I see, you know, I was telling my mom this the other day, I was like, I have seen so much heartbreak. I've seen so many stories that I feel this responsibility to help make sure 
that my one role on this earth is to contribute to helping people feel less alone because I know what it was like to feel less alone. And I was raised in a, in a great household for the most part that we had our flaws for sure. And I dealt with heartbreak on different levels than within my home, but I see this deficit of people giving so much sympathy and being above and not at the same level with a person. And I want to be able to sit and be at the level with the same person and normalize that. And if I'm seeing that around me, that it's, it's not present, it's not there. I feel this responsibility and this passion to contribute to it the best way I know how. And that's with my voice and with my skill set. And I'll just keep doing it until I'm dead. <laughs> Done. There you go. No, I love that. That's a great, that's a great why. So the people listening to this podcast are damn givers. They want to give more dams. They want to get involved. They want to help themselves get out of apathy and just coasting through life. And so take a minute or two and based on your experiences, your learnings, the things you've gone through, can you give those listening two or three it doesn't have to, I'm not asking for anything complex, just based on your, what you know and who you are, two or three pieces of advice for kind of jumpstarting that whole damn giving process, you know, uh, for getting out of the apathy and toward movement, toward just going after it. Mm, yeah. My encouragement would be that if you are going through a really hard time, when you go through a hard time, not if, when you will, because you will. If you aren't right now, um, you will. And if you are right now, then what I would encourage you is, is just be in those emotions and allow yourself to feel every level. I think the the biggest thing that kept me from moving forward is shame and guilt of what I felt. I didn't allow myself to feel. And because of that, I was paralyzed to move forward. Um, and then I also allowed other voices around me to dictate how I should feel. And that still paralyzed me. So I think in order to move forward and to give less of a damn, <laughs> I think we have to be present within ourselves of how we feel and take it day by day by day and surround yourself with safe people. Uh, for me, I was allowing voices to speak into me that I actually, I don't know why I let them because I actually didn't want their life, but I still gave them the keys to dictating my own life. And so for me, it was, I needed to surround myself with people that I admired that knew me and they saw me and believed in me and saw the, the pieces that are messy and the pieces that are beautiful and saw that I'm just, I'm Aaron. And when I got to embrace that and be surrounded by that, it released any shame, any guilt so that I could move forward and to really use my skills for what I think I'm called to be doing. That's what I would encourage. That help, That has helped me. I hope it helps somebody, somebody else. No, I know it will. I know it will. You, you've touched on that piece of advice that you gave and many other times you've touched on something that I historically haven't been really good at, but I've been trying to this last year is just self-care. What you're advocating for is basically what you're saying is to be able to help others, I have to be aware of what's going on inside me. I have to know myself, right? I have to take care of myself. And to realize that it's not selfish or self-centered to take time. So historically, 
I have not done a good job at this at all. I, I give a lot of time and energy to people and places and things, and I've always forsaken uh, rest and care for my own body in order to help others. And on the face of that, that looks and sounds great because look at Nick, he's doing all these things, hoorah. But a real simple way to put it is if I don't have gas in my own tank, how in the hell am I going to help other people with their issues or become a better version of themselves or help them give a damn about the people, places, and things around them and to give less dams about the things I shouldn't care about if I don't have fuel in my tank, right? And if I'm not in tune with what's truly going on inside of me, if, I've, if I don't take the time to slow down, take a few deep breaths, listen to what's going on, and then talk about it, address those issues, because inevitably, if I slow down and take some time, I'm going to hear some things that I might not even like. I probably won't like. And then I get to like sit in that and be like, oh, okay, what do we need to do now? I'm too anxious or I'm too stressed out or I don't like what happened in that situation and I've never really dealt with it. Those sorts of things. So that's really helpful. We can't care about others if we're not caring about ourselves. That's what I'm hearing. It's so true. And I think, you know, I'll just say real quickly, you know, I I found myself um, caring for only others and not caring for myself, but I never got to show the, all the layers of who I was. So when I messed up or if I failed, the people around me were confused as to who I was because I was serving as this superhero instead of this human. And I think there's a component of that too. It's people will place you on a pedestal. I, you know, I say people don't put themselves on a pedestal other people place them on a pedestal because the ones that fall off are so thankful that they fell off. And I think that sometimes when we continue to pour into other people, we can be placed on this pedestal. And the moment we fail someone, you know, or we disappoint someone, it is a very painful path. You know, it's a very painful learning experience for both parties. And so taking care of yourself consistently is so important and to show you being human to the people around you as you take care of yourself and as you define the healthy boundaries is so important. Yeah, I love that. Uh, before I ask the last question, I have a penultimate question for you. And that is, what do you want people to go look for uh, to find out more about what you're doing? Social media handles, websites, those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can check out our site. It's just soworthloving.com. And then our blog is blog.soworthloving.com. And then you can follow us on Instagram, which is just at so worth loving. And you can find me at Erin Eddy. That's E-R-Y-N-E-D-D-Y. Fantastic. All that's, yeah, pretty simple. And yeah, if you want to see smiling faces, go to Erin Eddy <laughs> Instagram. No, that's really great. And do you guys have anything upcoming, any campaigns or anything we should watch for or just go and follow? Yeah. So I am so excited this next spring. Airstream is actually, we're partnering with Airstream and they're sponsoring us and giving us an Airstream for like a, a huge Airstream for six weeks to be able to travel to the United States and, you know, hang out at national parks and college campuses and just be able to get outside of the walls and connect with people and do meetups and bonfires and all the things. So be looking for our tour dates coming the I believe we're still working on the dates, but around March is when it's going to be happening. Perfect. Perfect. That's really great. Okay. Last question, hypothetical. It's the one question that I always ask everyone and I love hearing the answers. Usually these end up being no pressure, Aaron, but these usually end up being kind of, yeah, pretty impactful times because of the nature of the question. So hypothetical, someday you're going to die. That's not hypothetical. That's true. 
But the hypothetical part is that somehow I have been chosen to give your eulogy. Your family, your friends, all the people you've helped, the So Worth Loving crew and family, they've all come in. There's hundreds, thousands of people there. And I get the opportunity to eulogize your life. What do you hope that I'll say about you on that day in front of all the people that love and appreciate you the most? Mm, I love this question. (laughs) Um, I would hope that you would say... I always knew who Erin was because she showed me who she was. And she also sat with me and I got to share who I was with her. That's what I want people to say. Relationships, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. I mean, it's really if, short. <laughs> Maybe you could say some more. No, no, no. But I mean, that's the crux of it, right? If people know that what you just communicated was I was approachable. People could talk to me. People wanted to talk to me. I talked with them. We shared meals. We shared, we shared intimate times and rough times. And, but we did it as people because people are the most important thing, right? That's, yes. I mean, that's, a, that's a great legacy, you know? One of the few books that's rattling around in my brain is I want to do, uh, maybe I shouldn't share it on here, whatever, I'm going to share it. It's going to be some, some sort of like, um, this is not the name of it, but it'll be like deathbed confessions because I want to talk with people that poured themselves out for people and people that poured themselves out for money and fame and inheritances and all that. Because I think what we're going to find, it, not I think, I will, I know this, that the stories that I'm going to be able to tell and we're going to work through, the people that poured themselves out for other people and made that uh, the center of their lives are, I think, by and large, going to have no regrets, like none. Why would they have a regret? It was about people, and those same people are there at their bedside, like ushering them into the next whatever, you know, depending on what you think about the afterlife, like you're going, right? Versus the people that like, who you can't take your fucking Lamborghini with you or your houses or your stuff, and your family's just gonna fight over it later on. You know, like, I think there's a distinct difference with the people that have that sort of a legacy plan for themselves, like, oh, all this stuff versus like what you just shared was so simple, but it's profound. Like I got to like sit with her and she heard my story and I heard her story. Boom, done, done and done. Like that's pretty powerful, pretty powerful. Mm. I love that. You should definitely write that book. I'll read it. It'll come. It'll come someday. It's uh, yeah, I think the second one. Anyway, awesome. this is about you, not about me. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much, Aaron, for joining me and us today. I know that I've learned a ton. I'm inspired. I'm excited. And I know those listening are as well. Thank you, Nick. I've enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll meet in person someday. But for now, uh, goodbye and talk to you soon. Deal. All right. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, friends, for joining Aaron and me for our conversation today. What did you think? I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a ton from her, from our time together. Make sure to go and follow her on Instagram and Twitter, Erin Eddy, E-R-Y-N-E-D-D-Y. Go follow her. You'll be encouraged by what she shares. You'll be encouraged by her smile. You'll be encouraged by the things she is doing with her life. And I hope you'll find ways to join in with what she and So Worth Loving are doing. Make sure you also follow Let's Give a Damn at Let's Give a Damn Everywhere and me, Nick LaPara, at Nick LaPara Everywhere. I would love to hear from you. I would love to keep up with you. Let me know what you think about the podcast. Let me know what you're learning. Let me know how you're being challenged. Let me know what you hate. If you don't like what's going on, I want to know. I want to make this a show that you tell people about, a show that you 
learn from, and go back to time and time again. I want you, I want this to be the kind of show where you listen to the conversations more than once because they encouraged you so much and they helped you accomplish more than you ever imagined you would as a new or old give a dammer. So thank you for joining me today. If you love what we're doing, share a screenshot of you listening to this podcast. You can go leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also, if you're into it, you can shoot a few dollars our way by visiting patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. You can become a patron of ours. A few dollars, $1, 5 10 25 a month helps us make these podcasts. We have so many ideas for what we want to do. I have more interviews that I need to go do and travel to make those interviews happen. So there are so many expenses. Uh, I'm carrying the load right now and a few of you on Patreon. So I love doing it. We're never going to stop. But if you're into it and want to help us do that, please go visit patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed once again my conversation with Aaron. So many amazing conversations to come. We're just in November. I have seven or eight more before the end of the year. Amazing conversations coming. Stay tuned. A lot more to listen, a lot more to learn. Love you all. Bye.